love this day. I love this church. You know, today, uh, Operation Christmas Child, we'll hear a little bit from Roger Scott a little later in the service, but Operation Christmas Child, seven semis are going to leave this property and, and send boxes. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. You know that uh, Cuve video? That's pretty cool. I've said this before, but don't miss this. The village elders, the men and women of that village in Cuve that cared enough to want to ask for a junior high, that, that's clay where that's built. They, they had sticks to dig out these hard, hard roots they prepared the ground so that we could be privileged to build the building. What, I mean, we are the honored ones. Sharon Oxley is uh, our director of global. Sharon, stand up just for a minute. Sharon's our director of global outreach, and uh, she does a great, great, great job. She will be in the back today. Don't miss the blessing of giving above and beyond to support our next steps in, uh, in Cuvée. Um, there, there's a lot of things that are going on that are just so good. This uh, storyteller, parables from Luke, the prodigal sons. Huh. I was going to have you um, identify yourselves. Were you the wayward one or the kind of the judgmental one? I was going to have the wayward one stand over here and the judgmental ones. And then the rest of us, like me, who are on both sides of that, we just fill up the middle here. But uh, we'll get into it here. So as uh, Pastor Mike walked it through last week, there were a, a, a lost sheep and a lost coin, right? Both were lost. And today the crescendo is the prodigal son, the lost son. Something's lost, something's found, and someone is always the redeemer. The redeemer was the shepherd with the lost sheep, went after his one sheep. The redeemer was the peasant woman with the lost coin. And today we're going to see that the redeemer is the father. The father who's willing to have his son back. The father who, like the redeemers in the first two stories, is rejoicing. There's a couple of times that there's this God is language in the scripture. In John chapter 4, it says God is spirit. And in 1 John chapter 4, it says God is love. Today we're going to talk about the love of God. Most everybody's heard this this story at some point. Few of us understand it, but I'm not certain, at least for me, that I totally appreciate the value of this story. I suppose because I had the luxury of working through it during the course of the last week as much as I do today. In uh, John chapter 15, William, thank you for reading. In John chapter 15, by the way, thank you orchestra people. I see John, Dr. John McClellan, and others here. What a blessing to have these guys on the stage, huh? I mean, seriously. Uh, um, William began the, the reading in, uh, in John 15, uh, verse 11, which is where we'll go. But I want to just recap just real quickly in verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near him, near to hear him, nearing here to hear Jesus, right? Tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying... This man receives sinners and eats with them. So can you just kind of feel the arrogance of that? This man, can you just feel that? 
what I'm concerned about asking you to put your seatbelts on is that we're going to have Jesus kind of point out that that's us. That's me. More often than I like to think about it. Sitting in judgment, looking down on sinners. So this third story, it's got the same kinds of moving parts. A younger son, they call him the prodigal, he's lost. An older brother, he's kind of like the the 99 sheep or the nine coins that we talked about last week. He's the other. And then God, seen last week as a shepherd, seen as a peasant woman, now God's seen as a father, right? It says the prodigal son, but in fact, I want to suggest that it probably should be better named the parable of two prodigals. Let's look at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 and 12. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Just think about that, parents. Just think about if your 17-year-old kid just said, Hey, give me what's coming to me. I know you're not ready to die. I know you're, but I want it now. The arrogance, the stupidity, the sinful nature. And it goes on to say, and he divided his property between them. Sometimes when our heart is hardened and we just continue to go down this road, this is the road that we should go down and we just continue to go down this road, sometimes God just says, okay, you want to go down that road? Go down that road. I promise you this is the best road. But if you want to go down that road, have at it. Age was honored in the Jewish culture. Family was primary. There was just an expectation that you would care for your parents. There was an expectation that wealth would not be transferred until you died. And yet this son is saying, I I don't care about any of that. I wish you were dead. In essence, that's what he said to his father. The request was unthinkable unthinkable. The son did not break the law, but he broke the family. He broke the heart of the father with his request, thinking about himself. He insults his father. Mosaic law actually says that inheritance should not ever be passed until the death of the patriarch. And in fact, what was proposed here could be grounds for stoning that son. Yet he says it. Give me property. Give it to me. What's coming to me? I don't want to wait to to receive it. My sense is, number one, what we need to pay attention to is that when you're rushing something, most of the time it's not a good decision. We're trying to make a decision on some things at our house this week, and and I was rushing it. <laughs> and uh, Christy did not want to rush the decision. And I'd made a commitment to somebody. And so 
I didn't want to go back because it's that person's livelihood. I didn't want to go back on that person and say, hey, I can't, we can't deliver on this today. Maybe next week, maybe next month, but not today. Pride, I didn't want to go back on it. I just wanted to power through it. Christy says, uh, go ahead, fine. Make up your mind, do it, you know. And, and there's this rift, you know, a 90-minute rift between me and her before I get my uh, wherewithal and come to my senses. <laughs> One-third of the estate went to the younger son. The father says, okay, I'll allow you to do it. My sense is that if you want to do something, hard-hearted, hard-headed people, he will allow us to do it. Verse 13 says this, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that, he had, all that he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. The NIV says, the NIV says in wild living. He squandered his property in wild living. Now just think about this. Not many days later, so the dad has assigned him Wealth. He said, okay, here's a third. Now, what in, in, in that culture, what's, where's the wealth at, right? In land, in, in, in livestock, and the dad has divided it up, and the younger son is entitled to a third of it. He gets a third of it. How can he not many days later gather all that he has and take a... How can he do that without just a fire sale, without just selling. Not only has he eradicated the debt, or has, has he eradicated the value of his entire family's estate, but now he's selling it for a fire. Why? Don Carson, who uh, writes extensively on this subject matter, says that it reflects his resolve to leave. And it also reflects what he worships ultimately reflects that he worships himself. He chooses himself over anyone else. He squandered in reckless living. And then in verse 14, when he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he had no plan for the future. You know, he he, he didn't think, I better save something. I better save half of it. He went to Vegas and he discovered that sin took him farther than he ever thought he would go and cost him more than he ever could have conceivably have imagined and ultimately took everything from him and left him nothing. No resources, no ability to create wealth, no ability to have... He had no friends. He had no reputation. He had nothing. So God says, if you want, you can do that. Verses 15 and 16. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his, into his field to feed the pigs. And as he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. 
Lots of pain just in those two sentences alone. He'd fallen fast. He'd fallen hard. He had to work with pigs that were repugnant to him. You read in, in, uh, in Deuteronomy 14 and Leviticus 11 that uh, pigs are unclean. We, we know that at some level. But in the Jewish custom, they could not be eaten. They could not be used for sacrifice. To, in fact, to protect from defilement, they wouldn't even touch the pigs. And here he is feeding the pigs woe not only feeding the pigs but longing for what they had to eat the religious fanatics the pharisees that are listening to this story that jesus is telling they were indignant the pigs tell us that he'd left his family and he'd gone to live with the gentiles that in the jewish culture was mind-blowing in and of itself That was such a bad deal that if he were to return to his culture after having lived in the Gentile culture, after having squandered all of his wealth, the tradition was that the community would all come out and take this pot and break it, smash it in front of him, symbolizing the brokenness of their relationship with him. You are done. We want nothing to do with you. You are dead. The Pharisees are thinking, he burned through his wealth, he burned through his reputation, he burned every bridge. He's an unsorry, ungrateful so-and-so. He's getting what he deserves. You can just feel that, right? You're just getting what they deserve. Verse 17, but when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He came to himself. Going home was no option. He did not have the opportunity to go home, and yet he decides he's going to go home. What if I can pull up? I can. First Kings chapter 8 says this. First Kings chapter 8 verse 47. Yet, if they return their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned, we've acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the, in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then heaven will hear. That's what we want. We want to be repentant, sufficient enough that heaven will hear. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. So he not only said, I'm going to do it, but he did it. Some of us say that we're going to do it, but we just don't do it. Let's say we're going to change a wicked or evil way a lazy way, a lethargic way. We don't. He arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Listen to that again. He arose and he came to his father, repentant heart. While he was still a long ways off, his father saw him felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him 
That's not what anybody was expecting. Men in that culture did not run. And they certainly did not run towards their wayward sons. They got long robes, you know. I mean, it was an embarrassing thing. The father running through the community to greet his son, to prevent anyone from shaming his son, to prevent anyone from busting that pot to say, be gone. He bolted to his son while he was a long ways off. The father was looking. He had great love. He never stopped looking. This morning, um, I was running a little late coming here. We live four miles south of here, right off of Route 45, and so I'm coming north. We live four miles north of here. I'm coming south. See this lady walking. It was cold. I am just, I'm running late. She was on the other side of the street. I have to go around and it's a hassle. I turned around. Finally caught up with her. You need a ride? She just starts crying. Yes, I need a ride. Where do you need to go? Round Lake Beach. I'm so cold. My feet are freezing. How long have you been walking? I don't know, two or three hours. Where have you been? You want some coffee? Could, could we... Could I get some cigarettes? Yes. You know, my pharisaical attitude, you don't need cigarettes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You're all dressed up. You look like a businessman. I said, I am. What business are you in? (laughs) I said, I'm a pastor. Anything I can pray for you? I just need... I need to get myself together. She told me that she'd been drinking and... Can I pray? So I prayed. God have mercy. Over those things that are pulling her over those things that are stealing from her life, over those things that are robbing her of joy. Give her work that's meaningful. Give her safety. Guard her heart. Guard her mind. Guard her spirit, God. Speak to her. Finish praying. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.
Can I tell you something? Sure. He said, just before I started to walk, I just said, God, would you please show yourself to me? I don't think I can do this anymore. Well, he was still a long ways off. God never stops looking. He never stops seeking. No matter where we're at. We don't have to get dressed up. We don't have to fix ourselves. We just show up as we are. James 4 says, uh, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. The father, in this case, shames himself to prevent anybody from shaming his son. There's no length to which he will not go to get back to his son. He runs after the indignant. He runs after the rebellious. He runs after the willfully sinful. God runs. Amazing to think that. He runs to you. He runs to your children that are wayward right now. He's willing to. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He repents. He confesses. He doesn't say, hey, boys will be boys, or I was just out sowing my wild oats, or blaming it on just a foolish mistake. He owns his sin. He confesses it as sin. He agrees with God that he was willfully disobedient. And in the midst of that, God, the Father here, cuts him short. And he says this. I'm going to read verse 21 again. The Father says to his son, Father... Excuse me. And the son says to the father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened cow. Kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. The best robe. That was the dad's robe. Bring him my robe. <coughs> Bring him the signet ring. Bring him the ring that's like, that will validate. It's like God's MasterCard. He can, he's, got my, he's got my wealth restored. Whatever he needs, he can have it. Bring him shoes. In the Jewish culture, slaves did not wear shoes. He returned planning to be a slave in his father's camp. His father put shoes on him. You are fully embraced as my son. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. It echoes of the celebrations of the lost coin and the lost sheep, doesn't it? It's not what the Pharisees expected. This message of grace told them something very important about God's heart, that God wants to throw a party. God wants to throw a party for us. And now it gets very interesting. Verse 24. For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says it this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, disobedient, 
passions of flesh, you were children of wrath. But he says, all of that is turned. You were dead and now you were alive. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field and he came and he drew near the house and he heard music and dancing. I just want to compare and contrast the, 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 the younger son and the older son. The grace of God, the judgment, judgmental spirit of the older son. Uh, the prodigal lived fast and furious, free, just spin, spin, spin. The older son, he'd been an honor society guy. He'd been the overachiever. He'd done what his dad has expected all along. So he's kind of like the Pharisees. I've done it all right. I'm, I'm kind of religious. I'm buttoned up. Or the son over here is kind of like the sinners and the tax collectors. I've messed up. I have really screwed up. Let me ask you this. Which side do you fall on or both? Because this God that is written about is the God for you today here. This is the God for me here today. Nothing we can do can separate us from the love of nothing we can do can separate us from the love of God verse 26 through 29 says this he called one of his servants and asked this is the older son asked what these things meant and he said to him your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go into the party. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered the father, Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat. Fattened calf, skinny young goat. You didn't even give me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's delusional, this older brother. To suggest that he never disobeyed, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, you, you, your attitude at some point must have been somewhat jaded. It sure is here. We deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves to think that we've got it together. In essence, he's saying to his dad, have you lost your mind? He played us. He shammed us. He told you to drop dead, and he left me to do all the work. And now he's back, and you're saying everything's all hunky-dory? And you're going to include him in what's left of my estate? He was jealous. You know, which, which is a more significant sin? The, the sin of the younger brother, the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, just going out and just fooling around? Or the pride of life that just is insidious, that's judgmental, that's it's just caustic across the board. We do not want to be the older brother, men and women of God. Jesus is issuing an indictment, and ultimately that indictment is against the Pharisees, against the religious leaders. He's scolding them for their arrogant and hard heart. He's scolding me this week for my arrogant and hard heart. Verse 30, but when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. This son of yours, he wouldn't even acknowledge that it's his brother. The father forgave, the father was willing to love, yet the older brother refused to forgive. Men and women of God, let us not have anything that will keep us 
from a forgiving heart. <laughs> Live with joy. Just, just take a chill pill. Just, just provide some grace for those that you are just hardened towards right now. You have injustices weighed against you. I know you do. You have reasons to be bitter. You have reasons to be angered. You have reasons to... You have been pinned. But it is not without God's awareness. And I promise you, if you would just breathe through that, extend grace in your heart. Just start with yourself. Just in your heart. A couple of times yesterday, I was serving my wife, and um, then she needed me to run up and down the stairs a time that I didn't plan on. And then she needed me to run up and down the stairs a second time that I didn't plan on. And I'm kind of like, you know. And then I thought to myself as I was running up the stairs, I thought, you know what? Just chill out. If you just, if you just thought for yourself, instead of being angry that she's not thinking these things through, just when you come down the stairs next time, just think, this may not be the last time you go down the stairs. <laughs> My day was better. <laughs> And the Lord let me have a sanctuary in a 1997 GMC this morning at 7.10 in the morning. A Pharisee with a sinner. Pharisee who God graciously reminds me that Verses 31 and 32. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead, and he's now alive. He was lost, and he's found. Very quickly, six points. Number one, religion doesn't work. Pastor Mike talked about this last week. Religion doesn't work. There's two ways to be lost. We can rebel against God, or we can be the religious, I'm doing better than most people. Neither of them work. We need grace. Number two, God will take us back. He runs to the rebellious. He cares more about you than he cares about your sin. Own that. Number three, how do we get back? Confess our sins. Just confess it before God. Confess it before others. God will do the rest. Number four, one of the hardest things that we do is once we return, once we turn from our foolishness our, our rebellious ways is to not become that pharisaical judgmental older brother number five share the good news of Jesus Christ by just living a grace-filled life extending grace in your heart in your mind in your soul in your spirit in your words extend grace extend grace to yourselves Number six, the older brother failed the younger brother. He didn't go and rescue him. He didn't plead with him. He just let him be. Do not do this thing alone. And if, in fact, there's sin where you recognize it, have the courage to speak up in love, with prayer. Have the courage to speak up. I'm going to read a story as I close, but um, I just want to say this. Um, it snowed yesterday, and uh, I was helping Christy do something. 
um, outside that required us to go someplace. I just thought, you know, our lives are so easy, relatively speaking. And I thought, you know, there are some inside this congregation, and there are certainly some inside the radius that we serve as a church. That life is not easy. So particularly, my invitation to you, if you're single and you need the church to help you, please raise your hand. Not raise your hand right now, but please tell us. I do not want you to have to shovel that very wet snow by yourself. And I will call upon the men of this church to help you. We will not be that person. I'll close with a story. Miss Thompson was Teddy's fifth grade teacher. And from the day she met Teddy, she disliked him. Although teachers aren't supposed to play favorites, sometimes there are some students to whom they just can't relate. Every day, Teddy would show up with sc- at school dirty. His hair was long and unkempt. He smelled, and he was academically slow. Ashamed to admit it, Miss Thompson didn't give Teddy the attention he deserved. She took pleasure in placing red marks on his, red marks on his mistakes. And although she never openly ridiculed Teddy, the class soon picked up on her feelings. Towards the end of the year, Miss Thompson knew Teddy would need to repeat the year. Hopefully, to just justify herself, she looked back on Teddy's school reports to make sure that she was right in this. First grade, Teddy shows promise by work and attitude, but he has a poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better. His mother's terminally ill. He receives little help at home. Third grade, Teddy's a pleasant boy, helpful, but too serious and a slow learner. His mother passed away this year. Fourth grade, very slow, but well-behaved. Father shows no interest. Well, they passed him four times, Miss Thompson thought, but he will certainly not get passed through my class. In the day before Christmas break, students all brought gifts to their teachers. One by one, they proudly presented their gifts to the teacher, to Miss Thompson. Teddy's was in the middle of the pile, wrapped in brown paper bag, stuck together with some masking tape. It said, for Miss Thompson from Teddy. Teddy's present consisted of a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with several stones that were missing and a small bottle of cheap perfume, half empty. The children in the class started snickering and whispering. Not wanting to sound ungrateful, Miss Thompson put the bracelet on her wrist, commenting on how lovely it was. She then dabbed the perfume behind her ears before she continued to the next present. At the end of the day, when the children had all left, Teddy remained behind. He said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mom. Her bracelet looks really pretty on you. I'm glad you like it. Teddy quickly left. Miss Thompson locked the door, sat down at her desk, and wept. She decided that she'd make it up to Teddy, that which she had uh, deliberately deprived him of, a teacher who cared. Every day through the Christmas season, 
she worked with Teddy, helping to bring up his grades up to where they needed to be. Slowly but surely, he caught up with the rest of the class, and he did not have to repeat the fifth grade again. Miss Thompson left the state at the end of that year and did not hear from Teddy again until a letter showed up in her mailbox seven years later. It read, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I'll be graduating second in my class next month. Very truly yours, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, a second letter. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted to let you know. I was just informed that I'll be graduating first in my class. University has not been easy, but I liked it. Very truly yours, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, dear Miss Thompson, I just wanted you to know, as of today, I am Theodore J. Stollard, M.D. How about that? I'm going to be married in July, the 27th to be exact. I wanted to ask if you would come and sit where my mom would sit if she were here. I have no family, as Dad died last year. Very sincerely, Teddy Stollard. I wonder, um, if we're doing as well as we could. I love these boxes for children. I love that we have a project in Ghana. But I also want to make sure we do well on Highway 45. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the instruction of your word. Thank you for its conviction. Thank you for its um, soundness. Thank you that it's not hard to understand. Thank you that you give us this life to live well. We pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would be pleased with us, you would be honored with us. We pray for a season, this season, this holiday season, that we might extend grace. in profound ways that would change us and change those who we associate with. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.